Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. In this podcast episode, I want to talk about total body force swimming. There's a triathlon coach, probably the best triathlon coach out there called Brett Sutton. And I'm sure if you are a triathlete, you've heard of him before. He's the coach of multiple uh, Olympians and Kona champions, uh, just got a huge history of success in triathlon coaching uh, and huge history of success in having uh, developing good swimmers as triathletes. And he wrote this three-part article on total body force swimming, which is basically the way that he teaches his athletes to, uh, to swim. And keeping in mind that he typically works with very high level triathletes and uh, they're very fit and um, not all of them have got a swimming background, but I wanted to go through this, these articles here and, and just give you my take on it. And you've probably heard a lot of these concepts talked about before because we teach a fairly similar method if we're working with triathletes, but I think it's a very um, useful article to go through and I just want to give you my take on it. And But i um, really big fan of, of a lot of this stuff here. So um, in this article, he says, um, so why total body force swimming? So here he says, the first point to re- reiterate is that we do not try and teach our swimmers the theory used by the best swimmers in the world. We find that most age group athletes and coaches have tried to follow the line of theory of modeling off what the very best swimmers do and then applying it to triathlon. We do not believe this is effective. And as you've probably seen, in a way, yeah, I sort of follow that path as well. I mean, if you're trying to replicate someone who's been swimming since they were three years old and is built like a swimmer, yeah, as in like really long limbs, six foot four, then it's going to be very difficult to um, to try and replicate that if you're not of the same background and body type. He says here, replicating the mechanics of a Michael Phelps swim stroke, for example, simply will not work. Instead of trying to copy the stroke of a person who's been swimming 80K a week for 10 plus years and who has a completely different physique to us and whose event is a completely different distance in a different sport, we instead aim to find the swim stroke that is optimal to each individual. Yep, absolutely um, agree with that. There's no one size fits all. You've got to do, you've got to um, find a stroke that suits you. We train for triathlon, not swimming. These are two separate sports and we therefore train the swim component as such. If our sport was speed swimming or pool swimming, we would likely practice an entirely different stroke. Our sport, however, involves open water swimming with a bike and run after it. We train accordingly. And I yeah, completely agree with that as well. So if you're, you know, if you're doing triathlon and you're racing in a wetsuit, it's all open water, you've got dozens or hundreds of other people around you, then it's going to be a different stroke than if you were doing a 50 freestyle, for example. He says here, um, total body force goals, implement a stroke that we can replicate over and over without breaking down approximately 1500 times for our Olympic distance athletes and 3,800 times for our Ironman athletes. When working on a swim stroke, our priority consideration is how do I tire least? A stroke where we can attain the necessary volume in training without causing injury. Also a stroke allowing the volume without causing excessive fatigue levels. We have two other disciplines, bike and run to train for also. Rhythm and balance in our stroke. Our swim stroke is dictated by our breathing pattern, whether it be one side only or bilateral breathing. The breathing pattern is critical to helping us find both balance and rhythm in the water. Uh, and then he talks about a video there, um, and then he goes on to the stroke itself. So uh, let's have a look at the next one, which is part two. So here he goes into a little bit more of the mechanics and the, uh, the technique of it. So 
Uh, in this one here, he says the specifics of total body force swimming. He says, we do not aim to feel the water. We do not focus on trying to feel the water. Sorry folks, but finding a feel for the water is not going to happen. In 30 years of coaching, I've yet to see one triathlete who can feel the water. Of the 24 Olympic swimmers I have trained, four were able to feel the water. Very, very few of the top swimmers in the world will ever feel the water. And uh, in a way, yeah, I somewhat agree with that, is that you've got to be in the water a lot to have uh, and train a lot to really get what we classify as a feel for the water. But that said, you know, in a way, you know, with the swimmers that I've worked with, when we do improve their catch in the, their pool, in whichever ways we do it, using different drills or different concepts, they have a better they have a better hold of the water, and they can they they know they can feel that they have a, a better hold of the water, and they know when they're doing the right thing and the wrong thing. Might be kind of different to what he's talking about there, but I do I do definitely know that when people make changes to their catch in their pool and they improve it, that they can feel that difference. And you wouldn't necessarily classify that as the same as a feel for the water, but I think uh, you tend to you tend to know once you've made an improvement with what's happening under the water. And he says here, we teach our athletes to use their whole body to create force. The power comes from the body, not the arms. The force we generate initiates from the hips, transfers through our body with our arms simply being the levers. Just like throwing or hitting a ball or throwing a punch in boxing, in total body force swimming, the force also starts from the rotation of the hips. Uh, and that's, yeah, completely agree with, with that because if you are just using your legs, or just using your arms to swim and you're not getting that use of the entire body, you're going to become tired very quickly. Um, so we really want to get that, get the hips to connect up with the rest of the stroke. And, and we've seen, I mean, we've done this with a lot of swimmers by improving their timing of the stroke. So for example, sometimes I've had swimmers who've joined our membership, for example, and they've sent me some videos and we see that their timing is way out there starting their catch much too early um, and they're not reaching extending enough. And so there's nothing connected and it's like their hips are rotating out of sync with the rest of their body. So nothing's connected. And then when we get the right timing happening, then we see that, all right, they're starting to connect up their catch with the rotation of the hips and all that sort of stuff. And it, uh, it makes a huge difference to the effort that they've got to put in for the return on their times. To generate the force, the hips roll to the breathing side and then back to center. We think of it as a pole through the top of the head or like a chicken on a skewer at a rotisserie. We turn, we turn the pole to breathe and then we bring it back to the center. Um, and again, you've probably heard me talk about that similar sort of concept where yes, imagine you've got this pole through your, your spine and we wanna keep everything nice and long. And then obviously when we, want, we rotate, we still sort of keep it on that, that pole or that skewer and bring it back to center. And if you saw our, uh, our Greg Paltrinieri analysis, so this is a, an analysis we did on YouTube of um, Greg Paltrinieri. He got the second fastest time in the 1500 quite recently. If you look at his stroke, he's kind of got, and it's pretty common with distance swimmers, on his breathing side, he'll turn to the side with his shoulders and he'll sort of load up on that side and then he'll really bring it back with quite a bit of force. And you see this great connection from that hand coming back over the return of the head to the center, as well as the rotation of the hips. And you see this great connection happen and he really kind of loads up on that side. And again, you see that a lot um, with, with really good swimmers. And I think that's probably what he's talking about here. On the breathing pattern, many age group athletes attending our training camps have the preset notion that they must bilateral breathe. 
Whilst we have some great swimmers who do, who do bilateral breathe, not everyone needs to do this. Bilateral breathing suits the needs of some individuals. However, the majority of age group athletes tend to be more suited to a one-sided breathing pattern. Once a breathing pattern has been established, always keep it the same. We use the term pick and stick. Whether it be fast, easy, short speed, long endurance training or races, athletes should concentrate on ways on always maintaining the same breathing pattern. Uh, and I agree with that as well. You know, if, you, if I'm teaching age group swimmers, you know, like teenagers or young kids, totally I'll, I'll teach them to breathe bilater it's a, bilaterally. It's a great skill to have. But if I'm teaching an adult who doesn't have a swimming background and they are best suited to breathing on one side, I'm not going to... Sometimes I will, but very rarely will I focus on you've got to bilateral breathe. I think often it can be a waste of time because when you're racing, when you're training, a lot of people prefer the one side. And some people will say, well, that can lead to injuries, that can lead to um, an unbalanced stroke. But as we know, an unbalanced stroke or a stroke that's not symmetrical isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, maybe it can lead to um, shoulder problems if, if you've got some issues with your technique. But there is no there knows no problem breathing to the one side, um, and as and we're talking about triathletes here. So if you are teaching young kids, then I think it's good to breathe bilaterally, at least know the skill. But uh, otherwise, yeah, it's it sometimes it can be a waste of time to to focus on that. Rhythm and balance. Uh, total body force swimming gives both rhythm and balance. This is the X factor to improving the overall speed through the water. How we do this is specific to the individual. As mentioned above, our swim stroke is dictated by our breathing pattern, whether it be one side only or bilateral breathing or as a two-two-four pattern. The breathing pattern is critical to helping us find both balance and rhythm in the water. To find balance in the water, we do not need to be doing the identical action on both sides of the body. Letting go of the false conception that we need to be symmetrical in the water has paved the way for many swimming breakthroughs. Both of our arms do not have to go under our body. We often have one arm tracking a lot wider than the other and that is okay. We do not have to swim with two bent elbows above the water. For many age group athletes, we find the best fluid dynamics come when breathing every second stroke with one straight arm recovery. The straight arm can be either the breathing arm or the non-breathing arm depending on the, the athlete's natural side. How the arm moves through the recovery, a high bowling action or a low grass cutting or a helicopter action is determined by both the breathing pattern, the natural efficiency of the movement and the flexibility of the athlete. Uh, and he says here that to be crystal clear, the flexibility is not important in swimming. We advise a stroke technique to suit the flexibility of the individual athlete. We do not try and make the athlete more flexible to try and swim a predetermined textbook stroke. Um, what I'd say on that is often, sometimes people are very stiff with the way they're, with just in general. Um, and I think mobility is one of those things that look, it, it will take you a number of weeks, often a number of months to improve it, depending on what it is. Um, but that said, sometimes it's important to, to improve mobility from what I've seen. Um, what comes to mind is I've been working with a couple guys in our membership who appear to have very tight hip flexors and they are really, and they struggle to get their legs above their torso so like their legs are just dropping well down below the line of their body and i think it's probably a combination of tight hip flexors and weak glutes and so i'm giving them a you know just a couple minutes a day of hip stretches and um and some single leg glute bridges just to help improve it because once they get that up it's going to make a big difference uh, but i do agree with the concept of like we don't want to i'm not going to have someone focus on 
just stretching out their ankles for 30 minutes a day just to necessarily improve their kick um, depending on the person. So uh, I think that's true. Like again, you just want to work with what the swimmer's got and try not try not go too far from what their natural tendencies are. So I, I do sort of somewhat agree with that. The two straight arms recovery stroke is also effective and can often work, especially when combined with a butterfly kick instead of a freestyle kick for certain athletes. Um, I sort of know what he's talking about there. I haven't seen many elite athletes kind of do like a dolphin kick, but I kind of I know the motion that he's talking about. And if you look at someone like Janet Evans, she doesn't have a, a dolphin kick, so to speak, like both her legs aren't together, but she's got very, like the, the kick is like, it's a very minimal kick. And it's almost like a do- like a butterfly or a dolphin kick with her with her hips there, and I'm I'm wondering if that's what he's talking about. With the hand entry, we enter our hand into the water in line with our shoulder, not our nose. So that's our train track sort of philosophy that we talk about. This way, we avoid the fishtail we see in so many age group athletes. If we enter our hand in line with our nose, given the momentum of the entry, the hand will cross the midline. There is no way around it; it will not stop at the nose. Newton's third law tells us if we make an action at the front of the stroke, i.e. cross the midline, it will have a reaction at the back of the stroke, fishtail. Yeah, it's a good way to think of it. Um, and then head position. Last but not least, we do not point our nose down at the bottom of the pool. We break the water in line with our forehead and look forward to watch our hand enter the water before turning to breathe. Um, I'd say I agree with most of that. So. I don't, often swimmers have been told, put your head down, look down, but that causes them to bury their head. If your head is completely submerged in the water, you're probably going to feel like it's, you kind of feel like you don't know where you're going because you're looking so far down. And if you look at most top swimmers, and particularly most top triathlon swimmers, is the top of their head is above the water. So I like to say, you know, break the water with kind of above your forehead, not necessarily your forehead. Um, but if you are swimming in a wetsuit or salt water, yeah, look, you'll be sitting a bit higher and that's roughly where it might be. So, um, yeah, I agree with that. I like to think about looking forwards one or two meters in front as opposed to straight down. Um, and it's much better than just, yeah, looking, looking too deep there. Um, and in terms of, he says, look forward to watch your hand enter the water before turning to breathe. I don't, some swimmers will do that uh, and I don't mind it, but I wouldn't actively try and look at my hands going into the water. I would say that's the head's gonna come up a little too high for most people. Uh, But as, I mean, everyone's different. Again, Janet Evans, she really looked up a lot before turning her head to breathe. Um, So it it is a valid way to swim, but I wouldn't necessarily encourage everyone to sort of look up too high before turning the head to breathe. Uh, and then he says here, determining the stroke and breathing pattern that is most efficient for an individual is not commonly achieved in one single swim workout, it is a process of experimentation and trial and error. Timing a single hundred interval is not a method we would recommend to decide upon a stroke. A stroke an athlete can maintain for 1500 to 3800 meters is preferable to one that is great for 100 meters but then falls apart, especially under pressure of race day. For us, technique under fatigue is, is the key. A coach on deck with an eye for fluid dynamics is ideally the best way forward here. Once the stroke is decided upon, the athlete can then go away and confidently swim, ideally without the need to overthink. Incorporating tools such as pull boys and paddles will further assist us in developing the stroke. The tools can be used to develop swim-specific strength, 
but the choice of shape and size for each individual swimmer is critical to TBF swimming. The correct choice of paddles can help correct swim technique without the athlete thinking, and hence avoiding analysis paralysis, one of the main killers of age group swim performance. So yeah, some really good points there. Um, when I'm working with swimmers, I, I like to keep it simple. No more than three things to think about, but ideally it's going to be one or two. And if those one or two things can be a cue, like, um, you know, it might be like you know, length out in front or um, or it might be like a, something to do with the catch or the pull, then uh, that's a good way to do it because we don't want to be overthinking it. And when we see swimmers overthinking it, the timing gets thrown off. So um, the way I kind of had this taught to me is that um, there's a guy, a performance coach, Nam Baldwin, and he tries to teach his elite athletes, and a lot of them are like surfers and snowboarders, um, and sort of they're like the X Games kind of sports. And what he what he says, um, what he has them do, like a really simple exercise for them to be in the moment and be present, is he'll have two tennis balls, and he will um, face them about two meters apart. He'll throw them a ball, they'll catch it, and then just as they catch it. He'll, he'll throw the other ball. So they're sort of constantly throwing balls between each other. And if you take your attention off the ball that's coming to you and you're getting ready for that one after it, then you're not going to catch that ball. And so by doing that exercise, it teaches them to focus on only the thing that's happening in the now. And it's the same thing when you're swimming. If you're thinking about, um, if you're sort of in your head too much, your timing will get thrown out. And if your timing is out by 0.1 or 0.2 of a second, then you're not going to get that connection through the body. Um, you might sort of you know, lose hold of the water. So we just want to really keep things simple and be able to dial in and focus in on how it feels. And, and when we're present in that, particularly in a race, of course, but in like a, in a set, if we just dialed into that rhythm and that timing and like that breathing pattern like he talks about, it is, it is a fantastic way to um, be able to, to maintain good, good speed uh, and good times across an entire set or across, uh, across an entire race. But if we're focused too much on our technique, then we sort of, we lose it and the times will suffer as a result of it. So um, some really good points there. Now he's got a, a third part here, which I won't go um, into, but I'll, I might even just link to this in our notes here, sort of talking about um, difference between men and women and, and so on. But um, I think those first two are, are probably better um, articles for or the most relevant ones for most people. So hope you enjoyed this episode. I'll link to these articles in our show notes, which you can find at effortlessswimming.com and, uh, and you can read those there. And if you're not a member already, then uh, to become a member, just go to the website and you'll find the, the membership button there. And that's where we've got all of our stroke courses, so our technique courses, and you can uh, see all of the drills that we recommend, um, whether you are a triathlete or an open water swimmer or even a uh, competitive pool swimmer. So uh, thanks again for listening and we'll be back soon with another episode. I've got quite a few podcast episodes coming up and uh, I hope you enjoy them. If you haven't left a review in the iTunes store for the podcast, I'd love it if you left an honest review there um, because that helps us get in front of more people. So uh, please do that and uh, I'll see you next week with another podcast episode.